The following podcast contains strong language and discussion of rape, violence, and mass murder. It's in the book. Hello, hello. Welcome to It's In The Book, a queer Bible podcast. My name is Jay Sylvan. My pronouns are they, them, and I am a Unitarian Universalist minister who knows the Bible pretty well. I am David Waters, Minister for Education at King's Chapel. My pronouns are he, him, and I know the Bible pretty well as well. I'm Sue Buzzard, she, her, hers. I am married to Jay, and I do not know the Bible very well at all. I know the hits and the stuff that you go to celebrate holidays for. So the way this show works is uh, we go through a story of the Bible. David and I talk about it and Sue reacts to it. And then we talk about it, make meaning from it, think about what's weird about it, what's meaningful about it, mm -hmm. all from a queer perspective as we are all queer. Yeah, Indeed. super gay. Previously in the Bible. Jacob was coming back home with his wives and his concubines and his kids and all of his wealth. And he got word that his brother Esau was coming out to meet him with 400 dudes. Now, Jacob freaked out because when we last saw Esau, he wanted to kill Jacob for stealing his birthright and blessing. So Jacob sent a gift basket ahead to Esau, hoping to soften him. And he sent his family and all of his stuff away. And when he was all alone, a man accosted him and it said that they wrestled, quote unquote, till dawn. Jacob got his, quote, hip quote, dislocated. So he <laughs> was- Wink, wink. Yeah, so he was uh, limping afterwards. And the man renames Jacob to Israel, which means he who wrestles with God. Then Esau shows up and he's like, water under the bridge, bro. We are good. Come on back to the house. And Jacob is like, no, you go on and I'll catch up to you because I've got all these kids and also my sheep can't go too fast. Also, so I'm not Jacob sure and his that you might not kill me anyway. <laughs> right. That's the <laughs> like subtext I'm reading. I'm like, no, no, you go ahead, bro, because I'm not sure you're not still mad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Jacob and his family remain in Shechem. Sue. Yeah. What do you know about the violation of Dina? I know nothing. I just learned who Dina was last episode because I only knew of Jacob's 12 children. And then there's Dina. So they don't mention Dina in Jacob and the American, I mean, <laughs> Jacob and the American Jacob Texas. And the American <laughs> coat. No, that in <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Joseph Rivers. and the American no, Kid. No. Capitalist no. dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph the and the amazing Technicolor dream coat is oh, what it's Jacob, um, the first the capitalist. <laughs> no, no, never mentioned at all. Like there, there's a whole song where like, we're going to introduce you to these people. And it's literally called Jacob and Sons. All right. So well, total Dina erasure, if I may go, yeah. on, you know. All right. That's interesting to know. All right. So let's just get right into this. Who boy. So I'm just going to tell the story and then we're going to talk about it. Yeah. All right. 
So it says that Dina, the daughter of Leah and Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land, uh, Shechem, where they're staying. And then the guy's name is also Shechem. Yeah, it's a little confusing, but it's unclear. I'm sure somebody has written a dissertation about it, but I I haven't read it. (laughs) So Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, chief of the land, saw her and took her and lay with her and disgraced her. So that is like the second sentence. They just get right to it. And we'll come back to what happened here. For now, I'm just going to read it as as close as I can. And then it says his, meaning Shechem, the prince of the land, his soul clung to her and he loved the maiden and he spoke to her tenderly. A couple of things. When it says his soul clung to her, it's the same word as in Genesis 2 when it says uh, with Adam and Eve, where it's like, and so a man will leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. I do not like this. Okay, that's fine. Just putting it out there. Do you want to stop? No. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. Not like that. Okay. I just, I'm just, I'm just checking in. No, no. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. No, I'm good. I'm just like. Because you had a really bad face. It's, it's just gross. Yes. Well, so just we're going to we're going to get to talking more about it. And also, I will say when he says he loved the maiden, it, just like Rebecca, the word is Na'ar and not Na'ara. So weird gender stuff happening, potentially mm. with Dina as well as with Rebecca. Fascinating. So Shechem says to his father, take the girl for me for a wife. And then it says Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter, Dina. But his sons were out in the field with the cows. So he stayed quiet till they came home. Then it says Hamor came to talk to Jacob. So this is the father, like the chief of the land or the king of the land. But meanwhile, Jacob's sons came home and they had heard the news and were pissed. Good. It it says, for he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, that which must not be done. Interesting. we're, we're going to, again, we're going to come back and talk about what's actually going on, what we think is yeah, okay, actually okay. The, the crime here. And then Hamor says, my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him for a wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You will dwell with us. The land will be open before you. Settle here. Move around. Acquire stuff here. We're all going to be one big happy family. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Then Shechem says, I'll pay you whatever you like, any high bride price or any gifts, anything you tell me, just give me the maiden, again, Na'ar, twink, as a wife. And then Jacob's sons, it says Jacob's sons answer them with treachery slash deceit because it says the son had defiled Dina. And they said, we can't give our sister to a man with a foreskin. That would be a disgrace to us. This is our condition that all of your males will be circumcised like us. So not just your family, but your whole town. Whoa, my mouth is agape. Yeah. And they say, then on that condition, we will intermarry and be one big happy family. But if you will not be circumcised, we will take our daughter and go. And then Hamor and Shechem are like, okay. And it says, I think Shechem circumcised himself right there because it says because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Hamor and Shechem go to the city gate and say, hey, these people are our friends. Let's 
let them settle in our land since there's plenty of room. We'll give our daughters to them as wives and take their daughters for our wives. The only thing that they ask is we all get circumcised. And all of the guys are like, okay. And everyone gets <laughs> circumcised. So there's like a big old circumcision party in Shechem. It's like if you were a kid and you had sleepovers with your friends and you ever did ear piercing (laughs) together, it was like an ear piercing party, but a circumcising party. Yeah, "Yeah, let's all do it. And everyone in the town. Every, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So everyone gets circumcised. And on the third day, all of the people with penises are convalescing in like the recovery house. (laughs) <laughs> because I imagine that getting circumcised as an adult sucks. Yeah. And while, and while they're all in pain, two of Dina's brothers, Levi and Simeon, go into the city and murder all of the males. Wow. Okay. That took a dark turn. You know, in a story called The Violation of Dina, you wouldn't think that that wouldn't be the worst part. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. But I was like, yeah. well, turns out turns we get out. We'll leave it to the Bible. Yeah. Should have been called yeah. the violation of Dina. But just wait. And genocide. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and genocide. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, this is not called the violation of Dina in the Bible. This is just sort of what people refer to the story as. Oh, oh, okay, okay. It's not like there's like a title card in the Hebrew text. <laughs> so they put Hamor and Shechem to the sword and they take Dina out of Shechem's house and leave. Then the other sons of Jacob come and plunder the town because their sister had been defiled. And they take all their livestock and wealth and their children and their wives as captives. Holy shit. I know. And then Jacob is unhappy about this, it it appears. And he says to Simeon and Levi, who were the guys who like killed every killed killed everyone. And I guess like masterminded this thing. What the fuck? You've caused me to be, it says like to smell bad, like, but like to be odious, to be odious among the people in the land, I guess is the best way to to say that. Mm, Yeah. If they gang up on me, I and my house will be destroyed. And the last line in this chapter is, but they answered, should our sister be treated like a whore? Okay. I'm going to like, get into my torn because I want to say like, I like that, but I'm like, I don't want to like anything in this. Okay. This is going to be good. Here we go. This story is often called the rape of Dina. And we don't, the word for that I translated as, as I think disgrace up there at the top. So, and he took her and lay with her and disgraced her. The word that I translated as disgrace there is also used much later for the rape slash disgrace of Tamar, David's daughter. But I want to say that whatever is going on here, it is not necessarily referring to rape in the way that we mean rape today. Like sexual assault? Right. So if we're going to define that term, I would say for us, rape is a forced sex act that Dina in this uh, situation did not consent to, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But here, the thing is, 
even if it was forced and Dina did not consent to it, that doesn't actually seem to be the issue according to the narrative or the book. The issue here doesn't seem to be whether or not Dina consented. The issue actually seems to be whether Jacob and her brothers consented. Oh. Right. oh, oh, oh. Uh, does that make sense? It does. So I'm going to offer Miguel De La Torre here. Okay. Uh, his commentary puts it pretty succinctly and pretty devastatingly. Rape was not an issue of sexual immorality. Rather, it was a violation of property rights. The rapist was guilty of trespassing, sowing his seeds in another man's field. Oh. This was a crime punishable by death. Uh, according to the biblical text, the true victim of rape was not the virgin girl, but her father. So the this business of Dina was dishonored can be misleading in this biblical context because it's not really for them it's not really about dina but about themselves by them i mean jacob mm. and his sons yeah i have a totally different perspective on it now and and that actually makes their actions make more sense too in my <laughs> opinion but i agree and i'm laughing because i like agree and it makes sense you know if we I, just real quick if we compare this to for instance, I think what um, the author that David was mentioning was probably referring to was the statutes in Deuteronomy, I think, which is like mm -hmm. what to do if somebody is raped and, and what rape means. And, and it the, the money is paid to the father, basically. But if the person who rapes the girl, and again, rape for them didn't necessarily mean that she didn't consent. Mm-hmm rape meant the father or whoever or the husband didn't, or whoever owned the woman didn't consent, didn't consent. Right? yeah 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 but for instance if there's a, a virgin girl and a man rapes her if he marries her then that takes care of the problem i i think the idea was like if you raped a girl or if you had sex with her outside of you know marriage or something or before before you know. she's married then she's not worth anything anymore. Mm. And if you then marry her and pay the father for her or whatever, mm -hmm. then that is That's make, like, making okay, it okay. Well at, least, well, at least, you know, you're paying the bride price and she's, I am marrying her off somehow. Right. And in, yeah. and in the case that I mentioned, the, the rape of Tamar, this is David, King David's daughter in uh, mm -hmm. Samuel 2 or 2 Samuel. She is actually raped by her half brother. Well, they, they call it rape. Um, and it is, I, it, it tracks more clearly onto our idea of rape because she's clearly very upset about it. And she says no and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you actually read the text, her half brother is obsessed with her and he kind of tricks her into his room. And what she says before he forces himself on her is, don't do this evil thing. Ask my father for me and he will surely not keep me back from you, but don't do it this way. This is not, this is going to defile me or disgrace me. So hmm. I know it's very hard for us to get our mind around, but I think it's important to keep that in mind when we read this story, because nowhere does it say that Dina did or did not want 
yeah. this man. This story is not like keeping us appraised of Dina's like perspective or situation. Like, you know, we're not in the know about how Dina feels. About Correct. This. Obviously, yeah. the story is not centered on her. It's not about her. One could read this and many have. And there's a wonderful, wonderful novel called The Red mm. Tent based on this perspective. People have read this story to be a story of, you know, two young Romeo and Juliet-esque lovers who meet a tragic end because their families don't approve, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And you could read it that way if you keep in mind that the issue mm. for the family is not whether or not Dina was into this, but the fact that they are uncircumcised or they're they're different people and they, mm -hmm. you know, they slept together before we gave them away or yeah, gave her yeah, away yeah. or whatever. And this disgraces us yeah. in our ownership of this girl. Yeah. And one thing I've been thinking a lot about since last season is what we mean by consent currently and how that relates to what ancient people may have thought. And I know we talked about rape last season some in the Sodom and Gomorrah episode and also in the Noah episodes, and we didn't really define the term at that time, but we did touch a little bit on the fact that the biblical notion of rape doesn't necessarily line up with our consent definition and I, I've been just thinking a lot about how, you know, quote, modern, quote, Western society is really very focused on self-determination and individual mm -hmm. will. Yeah. And that's sort of one of the through lines of our moral matrix. And so for us, forcing oneself on someone else is considered to be like a grievous sin. And I, I think in, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, even worse than murder. Yeah, a truly amoral act. Right. For instance, I mean, just for some some examples of how we think of our definition of rape, meaning sexually forcing yourself on somebody else without their consent as one of the worst crimes you can commit, potentially even worse than murder, is, for instance, when Game of Thrones was really popular, people complained about the rape way more than they complained about all the death and the murder. And I also think about, I read... Neil Gaiman's retelling of the Norse myths, he bowdlerizes them, meaning he cleans them up for modern for our audience. But the mm -hmm. way he does it is, is he omits the God's sexual violence. Like he takes out any part about the God's raping people, but he doesn't take out anything about other types of violence because we can handle that. <laughs> so I, this is just, wow, I didn't even know that that was part of it. Because, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, it, unless you read like the poetic Edda, then you're not, <laughs> you wouldn't know that. The Game of Thrones analogy is really interesting. I was a huge fan of Game of Thrones, but not an unconflicted one. And there were moments where I almost stopped watching. And one of those moments was the Black Wedding. Right. There was the red wedding and then there was a black wedding with Sansa. I didn't oh. I didn't see it. I, okay. I, I didn't watch it. I'm sorry. I couldn't watch it. OK. OK. So that was an instance of rape that um, that I thought, oh, I might not. And it was it was emotionally very disturbing. And I also had to ask myself some moral questions about, like, should I actually participate in this cultural phenomenon? Mm. Should I continue mm -hmm. to do that? Because I found it that disturbing and upsetting. How you get to that reaction 
for me anyway, I think is an investment in this person as a person, right? So the character it's you mean, like Sansa? Correct, yeah. like yeah. Sansa. So it's that coupled with the with the horrificness of the of the act. I found this story quite difficult. I was interested, Sue, when you said, "Okay, we're gonna have to." Or uh, I think Jay, actually, you were saying like we're gonna have to try to find something good here, and I really s- struggle with how to find something good in this whole sordid business. And I'm interested, Sue, in how your perspective changed, because I know at the beginning you were like, I'm not feeling any of this. But then later, it's, it sort of takes a turn. And the moral questions of what does it mean? So in the David example, right, in the Tamar example, Tamar is raped, and then the rapist despises her, right, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. In this mm-hmm. example, Dina is raped, and we find immediately that Shechem is like, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, right? Like I'm in love yeah. with you. So what does that? Sue is making a very disgusted face. That's right? gross. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> so, but not hearing Dina's because Dina is voiceless. What I want to know as a reader is where is she in this equation? And is he a creepy stalker? Right. Or is this a love story that's thwarted right but Mm -hmm. what we're given to understand is like this guy is not just after a piece you know like this guy is like i love you i'm gonna cut my foreskin off for you in fact i'm gonna have my entire freaking town cut their foreskins off well and if you look at it alongside the the sort of prescriptions in deuteronomy where it's like, if you do lie with a virgin without her father's permission or whatever, if you pay her bride price and marry her and join join the, the custom of the Israelites or whatever, then uh, everything's good. Like he's mm-hmm. doing all the things in the book that mm-hmm. should be moral. So I think his crime really one reading of this anyway is his crime is not the rape his crime is being other right so like not being an israelite is his crime for which he and his entire town pay with their lives yeah i think that's what we're supposed to what the the intended audience is supposed to understand Mm -hmm. i think And I mean, it's, and we're talking about consent and modern ideas of consent. It's not that the Bible has no concept of personal consent, even with women. I mean, we just saw it make a big deal about Rebecca consenting to go and be with Isaac. But I do, I think it's important to remember that it doesn't neatly align with our modern values of self-determination and gender and sexual morals. And, and also, I think it's important to note that there are scenes in the Bible that depict acts that I think very clearly fit into our modern definition of rape. You know, like I, we can just say Judges 19, if you're familiar with uh, how that ends, or if something we've talked about on this show, Lot's daughters getting him drunk. And when oh, he's too yeah. drunk mm-hmm. to know where he is, they sleep with him and, and they end up pregnant by him, right? I mean, that that is complicated because we generally think of men being the aggressors in rape and women being the victims but but that fits our notion of of rape and i i've been looking and i 
I would love if anybody is listening and knows about anybody who's written like a definitive dissertation on sex and gender systems and morals in the Bible from a non really problematic and uh, bad like cis white male perspective. Do you know what I mean? I would Here's love what we want. Big, big caveat. Well, I mean, I, I haven't even seen because just usually they're just very unexamined and very much like taking whatever is the modern or the, the contemporary like idea about sex and gender and just think, saying this is probably what they felt like. I haven't seen anybody really try to go back and piece this out while trying to be aware of their own biases. And I would love Mm. to see that. It's, you know, and the other thing that's interesting here is Jacob's silence in the face of these sons who are so incensed. Where is Jacob in all this? Right. Like he doesn't do a lot and he kind of comes in at the end is like why the fuck did you do that mm-hmm. but it's done yeah. now buddy <laughs> like and this is a turning point i mean for the guy who's just wrestled with gods and men yeah. right yeah. now we've we're sort of back to this passive jacob and i i wonder about that right like i'm like in this silence is he revisiting his relationships his love of rachel here's another guy who comes up sees rachel is instantly smitten but then goes to the father does the right like so i actually really loved oh yes this is a deep deep cut but Mm -hmm. this is well not for you david because (laughs) so we we both for you fellow bible nerd well we both read um the red tent which is Mm. fucking great Mm. it's like the best midrash ever i'm like obsessed with it. it It Read was it. written like 15 years ago, and I remember it being super popular, and I didn't know anything about the Bible at that time, so I didn't get into it. And now I'm like, oh my God, I get it. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And and they made a shitty Lifetime movie about <laughs> <No>. it. <laughs> And it's everything you think it is, but (laughs) no problematics and all. (laughs) It's so problematic. (laughs) And the one thing that I really liked that they did and made explicit in the Lifetime movie version of it is there's a scene in in the Red Tent. This is a consensual, passionate relationship between Dina and um, this this young man. And the brothers are pissed that they're foreigners and that he didn't come to them first, Mm -hmm. even though that's not the custom of his people, because I think they're Egyptian uh, in this in that version. But, you know, the custom of the Israelites is like you're supposed to come to the dad and give him this money and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But there's this scene in the Lifetime movie where Rachel talks to Jacob and is like, listen, like, don't you remember how you showed up when we were young and you (gasps) like really forwarded, you kissed me. And he was like, but, uh, but I went to your father and I I did the right thing before we had sex or anything. And she was like, well, yeah, but that's because that was your custom Mm because we're biological cousins but like, yeah. <laughs> like which is a feature not a bug right? <laughs> but like, and she said like if your custom had been different i would have done what your custom was i thought that was cool that was my that was the thing i liked yeah. about the lifetime version wow. of the good red job tent. lifetime 
go like that. Oh, no, don't go that far. <laughs> there is more story, actually. So mm. let's get through that. Oh, and then we... So mm. after this happens, God tells Jacob to go on to Bethel and stay there and build an altar to God. Jacob tells everyone with him, rid yourself of other gods, purify yourselves, change your clothes because we are going to Bethel. And then Jacob buries all of the idols and jewelry under a terebinth. It says terror from God fell on the city. So no one pursued them. So all the people who are pissed at them for slaughtering this entire town are not pursuing them. Suddenly got real scared and just stayed home. Yeah. And at Bethel, Jacob built an altar and called it El Bethel, God of Bethel, because God was revealed there to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Okay, all of a sudden we're back with Rebecca, who we haven't seen in a while. And it says her nurse, Deborah, died. Aww. Okay, who we've never heard of before, but apparently was very important. And Can't stress this enough. She's been there the she's whole been there time. The whole time. The whole time. She's like best friends with with Rebecca. So it's super sad. (laughs) And she was buried under the oak below Bethel. So it was named Alan Bakuth, Oak of Weeping, because I guess Rebecca was very sad about this. And then God appears to Jacob again and blesses him and says, you'll no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Doubled story. Okay, this one is less exciting because there's not sexy gay wrestling, Mm -hmm. but it happens again. And then God kind is, of a downer, but you kind know, of a downer can um, always be winners. No. Uh, then God is like, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty, most powerful. Be fruitful, multiply. Nations will come out of you. Kings will come out of your loins. I assign you and your seed, the land I assigned to Abraham and Isaac and also your seed to come. And God leaves and Jacob sets up a stone and pours drink over it and names the place Bethel. Okay, we hear that again. That we're getting a lot of these doubled mm-hmm, mm-hmm, rhythmic mm-hmm. sort of stories here. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they set out toward Ephrath. Here we go. Rachel is pregnant again. She goes into labor on the road and she's struggling. And her midwife says, don't be scared. You're having another boy. And then it says, as Rachel's spirit left her, <gasps> she named her child Ben-Oni. And that can either mean son of my suffering or son of my strength. Mm. But then Jacob fucking didn't even listen to his wife's dying wish Mm. and called him Benjamin, which means like son of the right hand. Okay, so that's where Benjamin is. Okay, so you asked where Benjamin was. Here he is. And it says, then Rachel died and was buried on the fucking road to Ephrath. And Jacob, yeah, Jacob set up a pillar over her grave. Great. So he just buried her on the side of the road of fucking Jacob. Then uh. Israel goes off. Uh, remember, that's Jacob's other name, goes off and camps at Migdal Eder. And while he's gone, Reuben, his oldest son, sleeps with Bilha. Oh, yeah. Bilha. So Bilha was was uh, was Rachel's handmaiden and uh, mm-hmm. Reuben bangs her and Jacob finds out doesn't tell us anything else about this okay and then it reminds us that jacob has 12 sons and it does like a sons of israel roundup reminding <laughs> us that Leah's, <laughs> just in case I, there were a lot of them everyone mm-hmm. you know it's if like an encanto song, yeah. i think of like at the beginning of encanto when she's oh, like, totally, oh let's yeah. turn sound up yeah. grandkid roundup it's a 
sons of Israel roundup reminding us that Leah's sons were Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, and then the NPCs, Issachar, Zebulon, and then Rachel's sons, Joseph and Benjamin, and then Rachel's maid, Bilhah's sons were Dan and Naphtali, uh, more NPCs, and Leah's maid, Zilpah's sons were Gad and Asher, more NPCs. So <laughs> Jacob came to his father, Isaac at Mamre, who is 180 years old. Damn. And then he dies. Uh, Isaac dies with his people gathered around him at a ripe old age and is buried by his sons, Esau and Jacob. So again, another awkward funeral. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get over 40 verses of Esau's family line. <laughs> So remember how like this book is so weird. It's weird <laughs> to us. It's weird to us. Yeah. But like, you know how after Abraham died, we got a lot of Ishmael's line. It likes to give us the That's right. over son's line after the <laughs> patriarch died. Right. I don't know why I'm surprised. This it's is like business as usual. It's part of the book. form or whatever. Just yeah. And it like just here. likes to show parallel family trees, right? Yeah. Uh, of unfavored versus the favored sons. You know, it even did that back, back with Cain mm -hmm. and Seth, and then it did it with Noah's three sons, and mm -hmm. then Isaac and Ishmael. It's so there's whatever. there's way too many of these these kids of Esau's to list right now for this podcast. But the takeaways is Esau's clan is called the Edomites. Like Jacob's is called the Israelites. His is, Esau's is called the Edomites. Edomites. They will come back. Yeah. Also, it names- Remember, Edomites, they're coming they back. They will come back. And it names yeah. more daughters born in Esau's family than it did in Jacob's. And it actually looks like there are tribes named after women in his line, unless I'm reading this wrong, yeah. which is not the case in Jacob's mm. and is interesting. Okay, final thoughts. I wow. I now have read the red tent and I have incorporated this into my understanding of this story. One of the questions I want to ask then is what does the Dina story mean if we don't view Dina's experience as what we would call rape? Like for instance, at the end the son says should our sister be treated like a whore and I looked and that word is like what they usually translate as whore. I would argue that sometimes it could just mean like an unowned woman. I see it in that moment as meaning a woman who is just used for sex and nothing else. Yeah, you could read it like that as well. Yeah, because that has a negative connotation of like women aren't supposed to be just used for sex. They're supposed to be used for like you marry him and then you get land. Come on. And that that is a way to read it that makes a lot of sense. Uh, something just to think about is what if being treated like a whore is actually the opposite of what we think of, what we would think of if we thought of this as a modern rape. What if being treated like a whore is actually being treated like a woman with agency, being a woman where the agency is the woman's instead of the father's? Maybe, right? Yeah, no. You, one could read this this way. And, and again, I think David said at one point last year, like, we don't want meaning making to become explaining away. Yeah, Many that's... people continue to interpret this as something that we would consider to be rape. And I think it's important to look at it from that perspective as well. And, and that makes it a lot harder mm -hmm. for us. It's interesting that, as some commentators have mentioned, chapter 34, which is this story of Dina, is all about defilement, right? And then right at the beginning of chapter 35, what happens? bring me all your gods and idols, cleanse yourselves, and we're going to move mm -hmm. on to Bethel. We're pulling up, right? But but there's this purification yeah. mm -hmm. business that's happening, right? 
like did everybody have to die so that we could then purify ourselves are we purifying ourselves from the death and mayhem that we've just sown you know in this place so i none of this as it's written is really satisfying to me like i'm not sure how i would preach this on a sunday morning i'm not sure that this is actually in the lectionary i don't i would tend to doubt it i have to look that up uh, because it's uh, what are you going to do with this my personal takeaway and i mean this is these are the things that i'm interested in right if if i'm looking for meaning personally if i'm looking for meaning from this story Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go to the red tent Mm -hmm. because I think that Anita Diamond did a great job taking this story really fleshing out the the female and making it female centric in a way that lands pretty strongly with a modern audience I'm a big fan of Midrash I'm a big fan of fan fiction the red tent is 11 out of 10 biblical fan fiction Mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned it just occurred to me like In the novel, because there's life after the senseless horror, it can be a senseless horror. In the Bible, we don't get her life after that. So we have to, then we're stuck trying to make sense of this horror, which is frustrating. All right, Sue, wrap it up. What do you remember? Ugh, man. So they go to a place and Dean is hanging out and the prince of the place air quotes, rapes her. And then he's like, I love you. And goes to Jacob and is like, I want to marry your daughter. Let's make it happen. Jacob's like, "Mm, I don't know. We got like rules. And the brothers are like, this sucks. We hate it. Uh, And then um, Jacob's like, well, you kind of got to be circumcised. And um, the prince is like, yes, I'm ready. And he cuts his foreskin off right there. He's like, I'm doing it. Let's do it. Hey, dad, you do it too. Hey, everybody in town, let's all do it. We're all going to be circumcised. Let's do it. And because he goes, yeah, sure. I'm down with this. I mean, like, you know, we want to make this union happen and like, we'll give you lots of stuff and you can like totally have cred and make a new life here and have a very prosperous kingdom. Uh, you know, just like, yeah, that sounds good. And then there's a big party and it's like a sleepover, but with circumcising. And everybody does it. And then Dina's two brothers murder every guy. And it's a massacre. And Jacob's like, what? Why? And they're like, well, you don't want a whore daughter. And then Jacob like is like, picks everybody up, moves a place. Is like, hey, get rid of your idols. Bury your stuff. Bye. See you later. And um, they're like, we're going to move on. And says some stuff that at the time when you were telling it, I was like, this sounds really culty. Like if this happened today, I'd be like, it's a, it's a cult. He's like, get rid of all your stuff. Bury your idols. Leave the, change your clothes. I'm like, oh no, it's a cult. They're making them all dress the same. Put on these Nikes. Put on Nike. Like, yeah. Like you have to dress all in orange. God damn it. Uh, but. <laughs> it's not a cult. Well, it's, it, it, it is not. It's not a, <laughs> not, a, not in the sense of. It's Some would not, say it's a not, cult that just a lot of people belong hey, listen, to. Okay, so much this so happened, that it became mainstream. Listen, <laughs> yeah. cool. I'm talking about. Hey, okay. this happened millennia ago. We can't apply this to me, but I'm no, like, I'm right. listening oh, to this. See, you got it. Mm. Uh, I'm like, well, yeah. this is something that if it happened today, Netflix would make eight documentaries about it. But <laughs> moving on. 
Jacob's like, bury your idols, leave them. He buries them under a thing. Uh, pillars are made at some point. Um, Rachel has Benjamin and is like, I'm going to name you a different name that means something different. And Jacob's like, that name's dumb. Here's your name's Benjamin now. They bury Rebecca on the road to the new place they're going to. R.I.P. R.I.P. I Rachel. Rachel, yes. Rachel. Yeah. There we go. They bury <laughs> Rachel. They bury Rachel on the road to the place that they are going to. R.I.P. Rachel, we love you, Rachel. And now I know where the name Rachel comes from. As we go through and I hear names that I recognize, I'm like, oh, that's the part of the Bible that that name's from. Cool. Yeah. All right. No, Great. not listen. Hang on. I have a thing to say. I'm mad at the two of you. Okay. Nope. This podcast was supposed to be fun. We were going <laughs> to laugh and joke about these stories and be like wow this is really interesting ha 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 look at this you and didn't like, know that we were going to read the hebrew bible right i just i didn't know this while you were telling the story and at the end of it i became furious because never before in my life have i had a true understanding of how people can look at women as property in our planet i i have heard like did you know that in some places like that's how they treat women and i'm like that's fucking ridiculous people are people and now suddenly in hearing this story i was blessed quote unquote with the understanding of what it means to see a woman as property and see a person mm. as property and i'm mad because now i know what that means <laughs> i feel mm. it and i hate it and as we go through this and do this podcast i am also having the perspective of someone who sees the Bible as repeatedly and constantly weaponized against people. Like mm. that's most of what the Bible means to me in my life. Mm. And it sucks. And now I'm kind of like, great. Now I have a better understanding of where people who see women as property kind of like base their faith and belief and have a, are like, this is the way. And this part of the Bible makes me think that it gives them strength or power or agency or like reinforces their understanding because there's stuff like this story in there and they go to that and they're like this is the truth and i'm like no stop it mm. so i'm mad at you too for helping me understand people that i hate better isn't that kind of good mm. though i mean yeah it is but i'm mad <laughs> Next time on It's in the Book, Joseph and the Princess Dress. Hello, hello. Jay Sylvan here. This was a complicated episode, I will say. I don't know if we really did the subject justice, but to be fair, almost nobody else has in over 2,000 years. So if it's going to be a continuing conversation, I am proud to be a small part of it. No big plugs today, just thanking you all for continuing to show up, to listen, uh, for continuing to share with others who might appreciate the podcast. Uh, remember, rate, review, all that good stuff that you're supposed to do to help embarrassingly independent projects like this one find their niche. It's getting harder and harder to do that because of algorithms and all of that, but we're going strong and it's all because of you. If you'd like to support financially, you can go to Patreon slash jsylvan and sign up for as little as $2 a month. Even small donations make a big difference and our Patreon supporters that we have so far are literally the reason that we're able to continue doing this. I am deeply grateful and if that is not something you would like to do right now, that's okay too. I 
am deeply grateful for you anyway. You're welcome to follow me on Instagram, j.sylvan.themself. Thank you again so much. Be well. Blessings. See you next time.